Well, good morning, friends. It is great to be with you. Uh, go over and uh, we're going to be in 2 Timothy. The easiest way to get there is on your Bible app or go to the end of your Bible and go a couple books back to your left. You're going to want to follow along this morning. And so uh, before we get there, I want to make sure that we have the uh, 20,000 foot view of the book of Timothy and the context of what is going on. And so um, for me and my wife's five-year anniversary, we've been married 17 years, but for our five-year anniversary, um, we decided that we, please tell me, like right now, would it not be nice to be in Colorado weather right now and to get out of this 100 plus degree with temperature? Uh, and so we decided we were going to go to Vail uh, for our uh, five-year anniversary. My cousin worked there. He worked in a guest in uh, human management hotel stuff, and he got us a sweet hookup in, uh, right outside of Vail at this place in Eagle and it was unbelievable. We went whitewater rafting. We went downhill mountain biking. Uh, we went hiking. We played golf. We uh, laid out by the pool and lounged at the pool. Do you know what the only problem with Colorado was? Ryan. <laughs> and Ryan is my oldest daughter. And let me tell you why it was a problem. Ryan was not even one year old when we decided we were going to go on our anniversary trip for our five-year anniversary. She was maybe nine months, 10 months old at this time, maybe that old. Parents, do you remember, if you have kids, the very first time you left your kids behind or in the care of somebody else? We were a nervous wreck. We, we, we thought, I'm going to be up in the mountains, so I got to leave like our itinerary, and I have to make sure, because cell phones are not good back then, and I got to make sure that my parents can reach us no matter where we are, and so I made like an itinerary of where we were going to be, what mountain we were going to be on, where we were going to go to dinner, the name of our hotel room, what places we were going to be traveling to, printed off their insurance cards, uh, left them uh, like our itinerary and contact information of our friends, our family doctors, our dentists, all of that stuff. And the funny thing was, maybe not the funny thing, but the edge of that was, we were there for seven days and we wasted the first three days worrying sick about little Ryan and leaving her behind. Now, you fast forward to today, <laughs> let me be honest, you look my way at my kids and you may find them on your doorstep with a little uh, tape sign that said, we gone and they're yours for the weekend. We have no problem leaving anymore. But that first time was really, really difficult. And if you understand that idea, then you understand um, the book of First and Second Timothy. Because First and Second Timothy is all about that. First and Second Timothy is this theme of it's really difficult to turn over something that you care for so deeply and entrust it to somebody else. Remember when you dropped your kid off at kindergarten the first time? And it just broke your heart. My girl's going to middle school this year and I'm thinking, oh dear Jesus, no, I can't even do it. Like, Maybe some of you have even had the privilege of dads in here walking your daughter down the aisle and entrusting her to somebody else. Are you kidding me? Those things are incredibly, incredibly difficult. First and second Timothy is all about this idea where Paul is turning over this 
uh, church that he's planted in Ephesus to the care of Timothy. Paul, his whole strategy was to go into the most strategic area and the most difficult places of the world at that time, and he would plant churches there. And out of those church plants, he would let the gospel just begin to infect and keep going out. And so for where we jumped in is, is where we have Paul writing to young Timothy, who has planted a church in Ephesus. And I love the way Bishop said it last week. Think Cancun meets Las Vegas. That is Ephesus. And Paul has planted a church there. And without this little church in Ephesus, the case for Christ in Ephesus might be completely lost, totally gone without young Timothy. And Paul is writing to young Timothy and he's saying, this, my friend, my son, is the most strategic church in the region and it matters deeply to me. And you, young Timothy, are the man that God has called and appointed to take over my infant to take over my baby, this baby church plant. And so Paul moves from church planting to church planting to church planting to building disciples and building disciples and building disciples, building disciples. And this morning, what you're gonna see Paul writing to Timothy about is this incredibly, incredibly, maybe one of the most foundational, significant aspects of disciple makings. And it is, friends, found and this unruly little monster that lives in your mouth. Paul is going to be writing to us about the process of disciple making and the power of yours and my words. All right, so that's where we're going to be. We're going to be in 2 Timothy 2. We're going to start in verse 14, and so I'll read it to you. It says this, keep reminding God's people of these things. Well, what things should you be reminding them about? And Paul is going to say, listen, Timothy, as you're discipling these new believers in Ephesus, listen, keep preaching the gospel to them. You never outgrow your need to declare and preach the gospel to one another. We said around here all throughout the book of Romans that the gospel is not the diving board or the entrance into the Christian faith. The gospel is the swimming pool. You never outgrow your need to go swimming. You and I's privilege is just to go deeper and deeper into the implications of what the gospel actually is. Keep going. It says this, warn them before God about quarreling words. It has no value and it ruins those who listen to this. Now, shocker, you may not know this, but there was a time in history where church folk used to fight with words. <laughs> that church folks used to get all funky and sideways with one another and they used to like to quarrel with people. And Paul says, listen, don't get caught up in that. Don't get caught up. Your words are loaded with potential. And you have the potential to ruin somebody with the things that come out of your mouth. Verse 15 says this. Do your best to present yourself to want to, your, to God as one who has been approved. Pause for a second. That is a great question for us to consider this morning. How do you present yourself to one uh, to God as one who has been approved. And Paul is going to show us right now that it starts with your mouth. That if you want to show yourself approved before God, that it actually starts with your mouth. Because your words do something, uh, something so much more than just being spoken. They actually have the power to create a new reality. Don't think so? 
When I walked down the aisle on my wedding day, what did my words do? When I said I do, it created this new reality, this new dynamic and, and this new relationship that I had never known before, the power of words. Think about if you've had kids before, the first time the doctor comes out and says, it's a girl. Those words create a new reality. I'm a dad. I'm a father. I have little girls. Think about uh, Martin Luther King changed the face of the world with the power of his words. Jump into the gospel. How did God get this whole thing started? He spoke it into existence. First John says that the word of God became flesh and bones and moved into the neighborhood. So words can take on flesh and bones. When, when God raised Lazarus from the dead, what did he do? Did he get out his magic wand? No. He spoke it into existence. Words have this ability to create this new world, to create a new reality. And Jesus says some very unfortunate things for us. He says this, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now, if I shake this water bottle, what's going to come out of it? Water. Why? It's, is it is it because I'm shaking it? No. It's because it's what's inside there. There is water inside of there. And what Jesus says is out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth is going to speak. He might say, words don't just slip out of your mouth then. They're poured out because of the content of your heart. That's deeply sobering for us this morning. Deeply sobering. The brother of Jesus is uh, James, and he has some very powerful words. Look at what James says about the power of your words, the power of your tongue. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know those who teach will be judged even more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault at what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. But when you put the bit into the mouth of a horse... It makes it obey. You can turn it left or right. Have you ever put your little child on a horse before and think, that is a beast of an animal. It's like a couple thousand pounds and my little kid is on there and they're just with one hand making that thing go whichever way it wants to go. That's what Paul is saying is, the, in, is, is in your mouth. The power to dictate with great power or take a ship for exa great example. Although they are so large, they are driven by strong winds. They are seated by a small, or they're steered by a small rudder, whatever the pilot wants. Likewise, listen to this, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes a great boast. It never gets tired. Your tongue never wears out. It will just keep going. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by such a small spark. The tongue is a fire. A world of evil among all the other body parts. It corrupts the whole body and sets the course of one life on fire. And it itself is set on by fire by the pits of hell. Thanks, James. That's, that's pretty powerful. He sure does not pull any punches about the power of your words. Do you realize that I've been in full-time ministry in some capacity for 20-something years now. And today, that could all be over. If I got 
if I just went off this morning, you know what? I'm sick and tired of all of you and I blasted you and I put all of you on notice. Do you know what would happen? Next week, the elders of the church would say, you remember John? (laughs) You liked him, didn't you? He gone, right? Because words are very powerful. James the brother of Jesus, Jesus and Paul, all throughout the scripture say your words have great weight to them. Back to verse 15. It says this, do your best to present yourself to God as one who has been approved. Remember the power of your words in your mouth as a worker who does not need to be ashamed that correctly handles the word of truth. Paul says we need to handle the word of God. And what is he talking about is the word of God. He's talking about the scripture. That in a world, particularly right now, we need a whole lot of this in our mouth and a whole lot of, well, let me just tell you my opinion on things. Let me just tell you what I think about that. Paul says, absolutely not. If you want to count yourself as one who is approved to God, handle the word of God correctly. Meaning, get it tucked up inside of you. You and I should be people that are working and memorizing massive chunks of scripture, that this is our steady diet. And let me be honest, friends, this is not an accusation against you, but it's an invitation for us to to get hungry. There are so many Jesus followers that are so malnourished because we come on a Sunday one day a week and we feed on God's word here together and we're like, done done for the week. And Paul would say, no, 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 no. Handle the word of God correctly. Get it tucked up inside of you. Uh, Dig into it. Do you, listen, you will never, ever, ever drift towards health. If COVID has taught us anything, we drift towards unhealth. And it's the same with our spiritual journey. If you do not have a steady time, a steady diet of God's word, it is impossible to handle God's word correctly. When Jesus is tempted in the desert, do you know what he says? Let me just tell you my opinion about that. No. What does he say? It is written. There is something that is powerful released, not in your opinion on something, but when you declare God's word. When you get God's word tucked up inside of you, it has a supernatural ability that your words do not have. God has designed this as this dynamite power that is loaded up inside of you that when you speak it out has potential in a way that your words just do not have. Paul says, handle it correctly. Get it tucked up inside of you. Verse 16, let's keep going. Avoid all godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become even more ungodly. Have you seen any ungodly chatter these days? Do we need to have a talk about social media right now? Do you see much life flowing around in our culture? Do you see a lot of godliness and building one another up? No, we see a whole lot of, I just got to say, let me just tell you what I think. Let me give you my opinion on all the stuff because I'm an expert on it. And Paul says, avoid 
all godless chatter. Followers of Christ, we avoid godless chatter. We don't engage in the culture of toxic conversations, Paul says, because it leads to even more ungodliness. Proverbs um, 12, 8 says this. We got it good. The words of uh, the, the words of the reckless pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise bring healing. When you are careless with your words, it is like somebody is literally cutting you to the core and you will bleed out. They will bleed out, and which happens instantaneously. And Paul says, but the words of the wise will build you up slowly. And so I was thinking about that for us this morning and it is prop day, so get ready. So I was thinking about that this day. And yes, I do own a chainsaw. <laughs> um, is a chainsaw good or bad? It's a, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a powerful tool when it's handled with great care. When you're careful, this makes work really nice, right? Imagine this. This is, the, this is the picture that Paul is painting to us this morning. If I'm very careful and strategic, then it's really, really helpful. But if I'm out there cutting the yard and getting the bushes and twirling it around, and if you walk by me, and even though I did not mean to do it, there's a potential that you're going to get cut. And let's pretend I cut you and I go over, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I did not mean to do that. It really does not matter because I've already been careless and the damage has already been done. Now, does this look familiar with anybody with our words? Where we get real careless with what comes out of our mouth and we start swinging around a tool and people around us are getting a little bit bloody. So for the first few weeks in Timothy, let me be, I don't mean to be boastful, but I'm like, man, I'm killing it. <laughs> I love Timothy's heart about discipleship and passing down the gospel. And I love it. I'm like, got it, got it. But when it comes to the power of words, <laughs> this, is, this is a two by four to the face for me. How many times I've had to go to my wife and say, but you didn't hear what I said correctly. That's not what I meant, Christy. So let me tell you why you should feel differently. And do you think that's really helpful? No, because I've been swinging the chainsaw. I've been swinging it around. And even though I unintentionally did it, I cut her. And it, and it hurts. And how many of us in this room can say, Man, I, I wish it was just a pierce or a cut because I remember those words that cut even deeper. Maybe you had somebody in authority, maybe your boss say something about you and it just cut you to the core. Maybe one of your kids has said something to you. Maybe your spouse has said something to you and it just devastated you. It just cut you to the core. Paul says, be careful with your words. Avoid all godless chatter. Be careful with your words with your spouse. Do you want 
do you want to ruin your marriage? Talk negatively about your spouse. Do you want to create a toxic work environment? Be careless with your words at work. Parents, for those of you all that are tracking online with us this morning, your kids are either going to live up to the blessings that you bless them with or the curses that you curse them with. Because words are powerful. Do not be careless with your words. Dads, let me speak to you moms first. Moms, this is not a slam on you. This is not a slight on you. But dads in here, please pay attention. Your words probably matter most. The words of a father just carry great meaning. And there's power in them. And that's deeply sobering and deeply convicting for us as men called by God to shape and create a culture of honor in our families. To carry that sort of weight. I'm laying in bed. Imagine me preparing for this week and God giving me all sorts of opportunities to walk this out. And Ryan, my oldest, uh, and Maggie come jump in bed with me this week and I'm tired and I'm cranky and I'm like, girls, get in your bed. Stop it. Get in your bed. And they get out and they cry and they go in the other room. And was I right? Absolutely. Of course I was right. Get out of my bed. You need to be in your room. But you can be right or you can have a right relationship with them. Because I can be right and be completely wrong. That does not mean that I don't correct. That does not mean I don't coach. That does not mean I don't discipline. But it means that I value the relationship and I'm careful with not only what I say, how I say it, my facial expressions, all of those things matter. And I had to go to my sweet girls and say, Dad blew it. He needs Jesus. I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me? Because those words cut. Now, you're not going to like me for this next one. This is powerful. Let's look at verse 17. This At 17, it says this. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Next slide. Leave it up. No, for real, leave it up. It's disgusting. This is what Paul says careless words will do. This is gangrene, and it is filthy, isn't it? You will never read this scripture again without that image in your mind from this point on. This is what Paul says happens when we speak out toxic words. It is like gain green. It infects the whole body. When you go and you talk about people rather than to people, gain green. When you speak out of anger, when you speak out of hurt and out of frustration, gain green, it spreads. It spreads. Paul says, be careful with your words. We'll go to the next slide for you. Verse 18 says this. And then Paul does something really crazy. He says this. And among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus who have departed from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already uh, taken place and they destroyed the faith of someone, of some of the other people. And at this point, all of us should be saying, Paul, how in the world does this even work? 
if my words are so toxic, like if they just spill out, if it's like gangrene, every time I open my mouth, Paul, help me. And Paul would say, listen, all of this points to your need of a savior, to your need for somebody to come and do for you what you could not do for yourself. Because you cannot manage your tongue. You cannot steward your own heart. That has to be given over to access and control and submission to Jesus. And that's what Paul is saying. They have departed from the truth. This points to this major shift in the scripture now where Paul is going to point us back to the gospel message, back to Jesus. Verse 19 says this. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with the inscription, the Lord knows those who are his. And everyone who confesses in the name of the Lord must turn away from their wickedness. How crazy is this? That the very thing that's tucked in our mouth that is capable of so much destruction, hurt, cutting, and damage is the same thing that is used to turn over control to Jesus Christ. What a beautiful picture that even in our mouth right here, the same thing that is our downfall is the same thing that God has ordained for us to speak out his truth. That words are powerful. The battle of the mouth, friends, does not start in your mouth then. Jesus says, out of, the, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. We might say it this way. You cannot control your mouth if you've lost control of your heart. You cannot control your mouth if you've lost control of your heart. In another letter, Paul says it this way in Ephesians 4, 29, he says this, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs that they may benefit anyone who listens to him. Paul says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. The picture, the imagery that Paul is using there is, it's like of a, uh, 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 of like, a fish dump, like that smelly, nasty place that's just, Paul says, when you speak out unwholesome talks, that's what you're creating. And it's gross and it's disgusting and it it stinks. Your words don't just say something, that they actually do something. And then he says, but only speak what is helpful for building up. Now, this is where us followers of Jesus get in trouble all of the time. Paul says, do only what is helpful to build one another up. But we like to say, but it's true. (laughs) But it's true about them. Have you not seen them? Have you not seen that group of people, that political party? It is true. Now, there's a distinction. Paul would say to us, listen, if it is untrue, certainly you should not say it. Do not say it. But if it is true, that still does not give you liberty to say it. Paul says, only say it if it builds them up, right? Now, now I told you, this is is prop day for us this morning. So on one side of this hammer, you have a construction side where you take things and You put things together, 
And you take all these pieces and you build stuff out of them. And it's beautiful, it's helpful. But in the same tool, it's got this side to it too, this claw side to it. And this claw side can grab things and rip things up and pull things apart. And it's used for destruction. Paul would say to us, that's what's in your mouth. This is in your mouth. You can spend a whole lot of time pulling things apart, destructing things, or you can spend a whole lot of time building things up. There's power in our words. Paul says, only say what benefits and builds up the other person. Do you know what I get into the most trouble? When I do what benefits myself. Not what benefits them, but what benefits myself. It is a me-centered, me-focused gospel. And Jesus comes around and he flips that gospel message upside down and says, God-centered, other-focused. Build them up. Just because it's true doesn't mean you have to say it. You have life and death and the power of your tongue right now. Now, some homework for us this morning. And you're not going to like it. It's really hard. Here's the thing. It's not enough to come and agree. That's a good one. Our words are powerful. It's not enough. It's not enough to say, I know I need to eat healthy. I know I need to go to the gym. I know I need to take care of my body. You actually have to do it. The point is not agreeing, but the point is agreeing and walking it out. And so often in church, we, me included, love, love to agree and nothing ever really changes. And this morning is hard. It's going to be a hard one. And I'm telling you, it makes no sense to do it. Unless you want real transformation. If this is true, if we have both this and this right here in our mouth right now, I'm going to start praying here in just a second. And I want you to get out your phones. Literally, get out your phones right now. You totally have permission to be on your phones in church. Please do it. At home, please follow right along. And I want you to think not about this way, but I want you to think about the claw. And maybe where your words have been careless and you have been throwing words around. And I want you to think about the person that you have been most careless with your words with. It might be a worker. It might be a parent. It might be one of the little ones running around your house. It might be your kids. It might be your spouse. But what, what would it look like for you to have the courage to say, and it's not going to fix everything. I know that. 
But what would it look like if you had the courage to start the conversation and say, I'm sorry. I think I've been really careless with my words. And I know they've done some damage. And I'm asking God to change my heart today about it. Will you forgive me? There's power there. And let me be clear. If you get that text message today, (laughs) which I'm sure some of you will, because it's usually the place where we do a lot of damages with the people we love the most. It just is. I don't know what. It's just... It is. And if you get that text message from your kid or a spouse, kid, student, if you get that from a parent, don't say, well, it's only because John said to do it today. Don't do that. But you respond. Say, God is doing something in me. And what's in me now I I, I want to leak out of me and I'm asking Jesus to do something completely new in my life and I need to be more careful with my words and I'm sorry would you have the courage to do that today to start that conversation to realize that words 